This is the TRA Channel Podcast, Watch the Opportunity, Episode 1, with Trevor Clark, Mark Isles, and Tim Dillon. Uh, this is our first edition of the, the What's the Opportunity podcast, and basically we're doing this for uh, the channel community across Asia-Pacific. Um, we're going to talk about, obviously, as the title uh, suggests, the different kinds of opportunities that are presented to uh, channel partners across the region. Um, and today we're going to start off uh, talking about the Asia-Pacific cloud ecosystem opportunity, um, what that is and you know, kind of what some of the numbers say and, and, and our thoughts on it. Uh, before we do that, though, we're going to start off with our with our news corner, which is just uh, to talk about something that we've seen which is interesting recently. And, guys, I don't know if you, you saw it, but um, yesterday I saw a, a fascinating blog post by the CEO of Signal talking about – uh, Celebrate, um, one of the the surveillance companies that helps um, helps different uh, entities, uh, if we can put them that way, um, to extract data uh, from a device when they've got an actual device handheld in there. In there, so being able to actually crack a device and and copy all the data that's on there. Did you guys mm. see that 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 yeah. that that blog post? Yeah, I did. Actually, fascinating. I mean, the term literally fell off a truck. Uh, if you follow the if you follow the story, <laughs> one of the devices literally fell off a truck, which is just bizarre. Yeah, and then so of course you know so so if you haven't read it, the the CEO says he found a Celebrite device, uh, which he was walking his dog or along the street, and it fell off the back of a truck. So obviously someone's given him a term, but it's it's fascinating because he's gone ahead and or he and his team or she and his team have gone ahead and. Um, looked at the security level that's actually on Celebrite's uh, devices itself um, and found uh, or, or they believe that they've found um, a whole bunch of vulnerabilities so that you know they can do a, a kind of trap back to Celebrite itself and, and if you drop random uh, kind of um, files into your, into your app, itself, um, then you can trick Celebrite into downloading um, fake data or to, um, to to manipulate the data so that it's not actually what you've, you've got in your documents and your data in that app. So it calls into question the whole evidence chain uh, of what was what was happening with it. Absolutely fascinating that they've published this blog um, and that they've said that they're going to include some, some documents or some files which are just for aesthetic purposes in the signal app at random places just to try and fool the fool people like celebrate absolutely fascinating if you if you, if you read yeah. the, the blog post yeah um, I mean, super interesting when you look at especially some of the techniques assuming that it's a, you know it's an accurate representation of the study that they did using mm -hmm. old msi packaging from microsoft vintage DLLs. I mean, it's a little average uh, from a security standpoint, given the space that they're operating in. Yeah, it really is. And you can imagine though as well, if, 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 you're, if you're someone who has been convicted or had a negative result as, as a result of Celebrate's um, tools and systems being used, in something that you're involved with, then you should be taking that straight to, straight back to to challenge it. Because I mean, if if, if the security, yeah. if it's accurate, then that security, that the whole evidence chain could literally be, um, uh, could be incorrect. You know, it's it's yeah. it's quite fascinating. Uh, yeah. And the the way he's written the blog post though is 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 very very 
um, not not uh, not. It's definitely not an enterprise um, government style of writing. He's very very cool the way he's done it. Very. Um, yeah. I mean, it, like I say, the adjunct to that is you know if you if you know signal themselves, you know it's the, the concept of kind of end to end encryption and messaging. We still mm. haven't really seen much take up of that in the enterprise space. So I'm still intrigued by you know as we see more and more focus around privacy and encryption. Obviously, the Apple FBI fight whether we'll start to see a trend towards more proprietary uh, applications. I mean, we're starting to see in the latest iOS release, you know, this focus on tracking and we're seeing this mm-hmm. next level of software in terms of looking at, you know, I, I, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen any large-ish customers look at using non-standard apps. Everyone's still using email and combination of WhatsApp or, you know, or, or well, text messaging. Yeah, see, on... Yes and no, right? Because if you look at, say, the legal sector, they're using, I think it's Babel. Mm-hmm. Now, Babel is is a, a nicely, neatly encrypted, encrypted <laughs> um, app. And, and so I, th- I think it depends on the sector, right? Because there are certain industries that are highly sensitive to that and are looking at sort of custom apps that they can mm-hmm. secure and do in. So... For the great unwashed in most organisations at a general level, no. But then you, I, I think you've got some sectors where it's absolutely a big, you know, big point of focus. FSI is just looking at, at some of it as well. Yeah, so it's, mm. I, I think there is opportunity there, um, but baked into the the various devices from the handset manufacturers, no. I mean, probably Apple is the closest to taking a stance on privacy. The others are exposed to android and, and google um but it but it is it is happening it's just below the below the radar i think mm. I, that whole, that whole idea of encrypt everything um though I, I yeah i think it is in some sectors for sure as you said in others you know in fear of your modern day average office worker or you know um person it's it's still just another extra step which is kind of frustrating and it's that old i think it comes back to that old security mm. Security being a, an inhibitor or just a frustration rather than something which is seamless in the background. Um, if they fix that, then I think you'll get much closer to it. But, but, but then, like, you know, the other problem I've got with all of that is, and you look at some of the clients we deal with, right, that are providing secure solutions, in some cases, you know, private cloud-driven solutions and all that sort of good stuff, and yet mm. you look at some of the applications they're running um google <laughs> yeah you know, and 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 they're using those uh, corporate comms and and communications and theoretically confidential and secure meetings and you think oh, hang on there's a bit of a disconnect here even between what some of the vendor clients do let alone the enterprise in terms of how they approach it yet what they're saying to the the market is slightly different again so mm. yeah there's a long way to go on any of this stuff right now yeah talking mm. the walk not walking the talk it's um, it's uh, very true, very true. All right, guys. So let's let's jump straight into then our main topic for today, which is to to look at the Asia Pacific cloud ecosystem and what that opportunity looks like for for channel partners. How would you characterise it? How would you characterise the Asia Pacific cloud ecosystem? Does anyone want to have a crack at that? Because I reckon that's a pretty tough thing to. To characterise, I mean, most people would just, you know, start start off with your hyperscalers and so forth. But there's there's a whole lot more beyond that, isn't there? I mean, there's a, there's a massive SaaS uh, community uh, which is varied across all the different uh, markets that we look at. 
there's a whole range of different services that people are trying to do to to help people migrate to clouds. There's still your tier two, tier three, whatever tier you want to call them, smaller organisations that are running their own infrastructure, offering you know clouds of some form or another. Um, you know, is it is it? How would you guys see it? How do you guys look at it? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's the classic sort of Asia question, which is you know what there's not really a concept there. It's so fragmented. And again, we haven't seen the same level or rate of adoption of, uh, of migration to public cloud and the hyperscalers. And some of that's obviously driven by the, the footprint in Asia. And it's just a, a lot more difficult to, to roll that footprint across that very, very diverse geography. But it's very fragmented. You know, we're still seeing partners, you know, certainly in our, our sort of my lens on the partner community there is there's not a huge ecosystem play there. We've still got everybody staying very much in their own swim lanes. So I haven't really seen the ecosystem come together yet. Um, so I think everyone's still operating relatively independently. So I think it's kind of an untapped opportunity would be my sort of high level lens. Yeah, the components are there, but it's not it's not joined up. Um, outside of what I think the hyperscalers are trying to do, fine. You know, and they're all making plays and they're looking at you know, targeting, for example, the ISV space and bringing solutions mm. from from partners to to create. ISV specific opportunities and et cetera, et cetera, and other sectors as well. But outside of that, it's still piecemeal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of it, certainly a lot of what I see is, is, is it still operating below the application layer? So we haven't seen that huge migration into, and, and again, because of the diversity, the, there aren't these kind of really powerful sort of Uber SaaS applications because it's very much country by country. So there's not the kind mm. of gravity towards that that yet the, that I've seen that is pulling the opportunities towards partners, but everything still is kind of more of that infrastructure layer about where's the workload, you know, are we going to think about moving the workload? Why quite like it's a more cost sensitive market uh, typically uh, than, than we mm. see in, uh, you know, in Europe uh, uh, and even in ANZ as well. So we're still seeing, I don't know you guys, but I still see a lot of, uh, a focus around, you know, the, the private cloud segment, uh, people still running their own DCs and their own colors, driven primarily by a cost lens rather than a, you know, what could I do if I actually move it to a more modern platform lens? Yeah, I think that's that's a, that's a good point. So let me let me just introduce some of the the, the data that we've got uh, around the Asia Pacific market. Now this does exclude mainland China, so so ignore this for the moment. But we from some of the data that we've looked at, and obviously. You know, you look at anyone's data, and they're all pretty similar in terms of it. The the cloud opportunity is big; <laughs> it's big. So it's almost to a point of, you know, does it really matter how big it is? It's more around how can you be more profitable, um, and to get that that sustainable differentiation. I actually think that that's that's a far more important question for a lot of organ, for a lot of channel partners. But if you're looking at software as a service, and this is combining all of them, you're looking at a CAGR of around twenty nine point nine percent, or around thirty percent. Until 2023, um, and as you pointed out, Mark, the the infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, if you combine those two, is actually looking at a, a at a bigger CAGR uh, across um, to 2023 of around 32%. And you know, it's 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 actually quite big markets. We're we're talking here, you know, 30 37 billion plus for for infrastructure and platform, and you know, a 20 billion plus market for SaaS uh, at least. Now that's that's just some of our numbers. Obviously, there'll be there are others in the market. Um, but that's still, you know, if you look at the the latest growth rates um, that people have been looking at 
for other kinds of spending, it's still far more than than any other kind of sectors that we look mm-hmm. at at the moment. So yeah. Gartner, has, Gartner has software at 8% and services at 6%. IDC has, has software at 2% and services at 1.9. And Forrester has software at 5.4 and services at 3.4. You know, so you're talking huge differences in the opportunity. And we, we see that as well in terms of our data on where workloads are actually going at the moment. Um, there's still a long, long runway of apps and, and and data sets that haven't moved to a cloud environment at the moment. Um, although there are there is also a counter movement of some people pulling some stuff back, um, and as mm-hmm. you said, putting yeah. it into a private opportunity or into a colo environment. But that data really does say there is opportunity. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. So uh, my my question then is, what are partners doing well at the moment? to address that opportunity and what are they not doing well um i think that i want to start with the positives first because I, I think that the latter is probably something um we could talk on for a little bit while longer mark what do you reckon what are they doing well uh yeah i think it's a shorter list of what they're doing well than it is what they're not doing well at the moment i don't mean to be un, uh, unkind but i think you know we i've been talking for a while i think as you know and, and as an organization as tra about you know, the, the market and customers at the moment are moving faster than the channel is. So, mm. you know, we talk about trans, we talk about transformation. I still see customers moving more quickly than partners. Uh, and, and that's that concern. You know, if you think about where we've come from with a lot of partners traditionally operating in the infrastructure space, a lot are still operating in the infrastructure space and the opportunities at a very broad sense moving forward are going to be the application layer. Because all of these old applications that we've got in Asia, it's a great example because they're country specific rather than being kind of, you know, westernized English based applications. Um, you know, but the opportunity is all of those applications are older, they need moving, they need modernizing, or they need to be replaced by SaaS apps. That mm. wave, like, if we think about the fact that there's still a lot, of, a lot of runway left in cloud migration, man, how much runway is there left in the applications that are sitting on top of cloud? Or we're mm. largely just moving the same application workloads around into somebody else's environment. You know, as we say, yep. it's just somebody else's server. You know, have we really dealt with the opportunity and how many new applications are being built? That's where the money is. You know, we've all, you know, my lens is always the value is always further up the, stack, up the stack, and the stack is now an application stack. And I don't think enough partners are yet really grasping that SaaS is actually an opportunity, not a threat. Um, you know, the ability for them to be able to connect different SaaS apps, provide managed services for those SaaS apps. Those SaaS apps need maintaining, they need integrating, uh, they still need customization in a lot of cases. Uh, there's an opportunity there. It's not really a threat if your customer is looking to take their existing, you know, private cloud, you know, home-built application and move it to a SaaS app. They see that as a threat. It's not. It's actually an opportunity. Yeah, I think that's a really good point around um, as well that a couple of things that you said there. One in particular was the, you know, the channel is moving much slower than what the customers are. I'd also argue that they're moving much slower than what the large-scale cloud-related vendors are too. So they're starting to get cut out um, in many, many ways. And Tim, you, you were talking to someone today that that basically didn't use a partner for something which is, you know, which is cloud-related um, and that they were a large government organization, right? Yeah, that was an interesting one in terms of, uh, you know, Windows virtual desktop deployment. And and it was early days at WVD. So I, I guess, you know, the partners, Microsoft eventually brought in a partner to support it. But, you know, really the partners were still scaling up in, in that space. This is last year. Um, mm. So it wasn't exactly a large range of partners to, to turn to at that point. I mean, it's slightly different these days. But, 
Um, I, I do think it's it's incredibly hard for the partners to keep abreast of, if you take AWS, Azure and GCP, right? just, just, just as three examples. And mm. then you're a partner that maybe works with two of those. How the hell do you actually keep across what's happening? Because mm. it is incessant. Mm. Yeah, there's so much going on. And and you have to, because you know, we know from some of the work we've done that the, the partners are looking at it going, well, to your point, Mark, there's you know infrastructure, there's, there's no money in that for me now. So I've got to go up the stack into the applications, but Christ, it's hard because because some of those hyperscalers are moving up there very quickly themselves. So mm. it's I, I I don't know whether it's an opportunity or whether it's it's a must-do because if you don't, you're dead in the water as a partner. I, I don't even think of it as an opportunity. It for some of these partners that are still focusing on infrastructure, it's an existential threat, right? It's <laughs> move or you're dead. Yeah. Mm, mm. That's a good point. It's a good point. I I I kind of also I've just as you were saying that, I was trying to think of the I mean, we we work with, you know, so many different partners and, and have a, a database and a connection of, you know, thousands and thousands of different partners across the region. And I was just trying to think of any partners that have really moved from being an old school system integrator, managed service provider, into someone now who does that application level uh, technology and business transformation sort of conversation. And let me just call that for a second. Where, where mm. you know, I, I assume that's where we're talking about the margin and the, the the real sticky opportunity is. I can't really think of many. You know, you've got the you've got absolutely the the Deloitte's, the KPMGs of the world, etc., who are doing that and doing that from you know bringing their consulting um, work across. And obviously, there's some smaller ones, but I can't think of many um, many that have that have successfully transformed to that level. Can you guys? Um, there are a, there are a few. I mean, it's a, what you tend to see is, let's say, for the for the very large organisations, um, you know, for a number of the partners, both listed and the and the large privates. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm certainly seeing them move in that direction, but for them, it's relative. It's a relatively easy move because it's an investment that's an additional business unit, or frankly, it's just another service offering that bolts in alongside all their other service offerings. You know, and service offerings come mm. and go. You know, it's like you know, we all made you know, tons of partners made a, a boatload of money. Um, you know, virtualizing the world, right? And everything's virtualized now. You, you can't really show me a workload that isn't uh, that isn't running in a VM. Um, so you know, so service offerings always come and go. But applications has always been the one tricky area where, you know, outside of coding, I think where partners perhaps don't grasp the opportunity is you've got to be able to understand application infrastructure at a minimum anyway. And I mm. still don't see enough partners that really understand containers, continuous integration, continuous development. And when you're talking to customers about application infrastructure, we're not talking about VMs. We're talking about containers. We're talking about Kubernetes. We're talking about a different layer of actually how they release and build custom applications or even manage SaaS applications. And I'm not seeing enough perhaps deep understanding, even if you could still classify that as infrastructure, but it's actually mm. container-orientated infrastructure. I'm still not seeing enough focus there, let alone at the layer above that with the application opportunity. So there's a lot of untapped opportunity there, but the skills and the sheer amount of investment needed to do that at the moment is, I think, where the challenge mm. is. And I don't know about you, uh, about you guys, but I've seen one of the things in the last probably couple of months is I'm seeing all of the large vendors to their credit tipping large amounts of money, and I mean really large amounts of money into training and certification. So I think mm. they've realized there's a wall of interest from partners, but the cost, the sheer cost of the transformation in skills now, because the, the timeframes are so short, makes it a very difficult business case. 
Uh, and uh, I think that's where one of the challenges at the moment, we all know there's a shortage of skills in the market. Well, okay, but is there a shortage of skills or is it that people aren't prepared to pay for those skills, right? Yeah, it's like there's a skill shortage. Yeah, no, what, what you really mean is there's a skill shortage at the level that you're prepared to pay for it. Double that, maybe there's no skill shortage. But I, I always kind of sometimes wonder about this skill shortage issue. I know I'm sort of diving off another area for a second, but um, I do sometimes think skill shortage, yeah, skill shortage cheap is, is probably how that should be couched in some, sometimes. I'd even add another dimension to that. I think there is there is in some places not enough people in some, but I think it's also a lack of willingness to, as you said, to at the right price. Because in some places, well, you know, it's 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 pretty easy just to buy more people and do it. You know, so you can do it, particularly across Asia Pacific. But I think there's also not enough willingness to accept training on demand. You know, or learning. You know, continuous learning. Which is, you know, rather just okay, we don't have anyone. Well, let's train them. It's more, can yeah. we just employ someone with the existing skills? So there's there's kind of a, a a lack of willingness to really, and that's where I think it leads into your comment about spending on certifications and training and so forth. Because it's it's yeah, I mean, so I wanted to touch on that that business, you know, it's that additional business units, that additional skills area question for some partners that's just too much like they're too small to be able to do that so i think in some ways they need to they need to merge with others or you know they need to do it as an ecosystem play and work with other people which as we know partners are not very good at doing uh, in many many ways at least in some of the although we do see i do see in the the partners that i've spoken to across asean in particular and and across into sri lanka recently too have all said that they're very interested in in how do they work with other people who have skills where they don't you know, yeah, but everybody always says that, right? It's yeah. it's like, yeah, we, we'd love to work with others. It, it ends up being, yeah, as long as they give us the sales leads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Give, give us more leads and, and we'll work with you. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Very true. All right, so where, where do you see it, Where do you guys see it playing out then? Where, where do you see – I mean, I, I see one thing for me is going forward, I do think that um, being vanilla – um, even if you're moving into containers and, and you know, to a microservices applications approach, just being vanilla, um, you know, we can do CRM, we can do ERP, we can do blah, blah, blah for every industry is is, is kind of going to mean you're going to continue to play in a red ocean um, approach to things, meaning highly competitive space where everyone does the same thing, which is mm-hmm. what most channel partners do at the moment. So I do think there's a, there is a, there is a, a specialization opportunity. Uh, I don't mean uber specialized, putting yourself at risk of, of, of you know, if the market shifts of, 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 of having to close shop, but you know, to a certain level, um, whether it's by industry, whether it's by function, um, you know, potentially by a particular, particular technologies, um, uh, there are opportunities there. And I think that's where most partners need to look at. What do, what do you guys reckon? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been talking about the specialization thing for a while. The, the key for a lot of partners is they kind of know that. Uh, mm. But the question is, how do you go about that? And one of the biggest challenges in, is some of the specialization by its nature leads to a, you know, the, the commercialization of that is predominantly a professional services approach. And, and the challenge that we talked about before is there's still, you know, we're seeing a lot of upward pressure on salaries. But mm. most partners, certainly that I talk to, we're seeing an inability to actually pass on at a kind of, you know, at a, at a very base level, you know, the daily rate that you can charge for somebody with particular skills. Those numbers haven't moved much uh, in the mm. last couple of years, but, but the salaries have. So yep. you've got this kind of 
the commercialization of the investment you need to make in skills and services to build these very deep skills is proving very hard to commercialize. You've really got to be able to deliver that as part of some sort of managed service to drive long-term annuity. And to get any profit out of that, you need scale. So mm. it's that classic challenge of you, you want to specialize, but you also need scale at the same time. And while you're on that journey, it's barely profitable. And that's just mm. a really tough thing to manage, uh, especially post-COVID. You know, there's a lot of partners out there that have still been surviving on JobKeeper. Um, you know, and now we've seen JobKeeper end. You know, I'm rel- relatively concerned about what we're going to see shake out over the next few months as, as the, all that JobKeeper money winds its way out of the partners' P&Ls. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Do you, do you think then um, there'll be a, uh, a shift back? Because obviously, as we saw through COVID, um, in, in most markets, there was kind of a shift away from outsourcing or offshoring to different locations and people, you know, trying to push back to being remote, but remote within your own your own market or your own country. Do you think there'll be a shift back um, to to that offshoring conversation and searching for that next low, you know, labor cost, labor arbitrage conversation? I mean, we've talked about Nepal previously internally mm. as one location. Do you think that's, that's going to, uh, you know, rear its head again? For me, my lens on that is that I see a little bit of both. So it's, you know, the outsourcing has become a little on the nose, to be honest. And we're seeing, yeah. a, I'm seeing a swing back from that for a lot of customers, but it's mm. more of a selective outsourcing. So we're seeing it as, a, you know, having having an approach where, you know, for example, with development, you know, we talk about this and, uh, and as you know, we, you know, I'm on the board of a couple of startups. You know, we'll, we'll quite obviously have architecture and design done perhaps locally, uh, but then we'll have selected pieces of code that will outsource to components in the pool. I think mm-hmm. that type of approach of what I call more selective outsourcing, so it's very specific. It's not, you know, my entire support desk and managed services capabilities in the Philippines or, you know, from the Philippines you move to South America or wherever it might be, uh, but having very select components of your service that are delivered from, from overseas. Uh, I see that as a continuing trend. So it's going to be much more of a blend you know, previously we've kind of over rotated to let's do everything over there because it's uh, it's cheap it's cheaper cost. Uh, we're seeing yeah. I'm seeing near pullback from that approach. All right, TD, what about you? What what do you reckon? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna come at it slightly differently, I think, and and there's there's a couple of things that I'm thinking right now, and I'm I'm listening to Mark talking about. I can't but help picture this herd of wildebeest starting their migration belting across a plane, right? And whoever gets the other side of the water source first wins. So yes, the training and the certs, and I know that's a crap analogy by the way, but I just can't. There's this, <laughs> I liked stampede, it. <laughs> there's this stampede of partners, right, that again <laughs> go in that direction because behind them are the cloud vendors with, you know, bloody great big angry lions going, go or we'll eat you. So they're, they're going to have to run. Whoever gets the other side first sort of wins on that side with the, the training so it's the upskilling. Um, but then I, I wonder how you do that when you're looking at, you know, the new technology that, that's coming or the new solutions. You know, you're, t- you're talking about we've not had a lot of innovation. We're still sort of doing what we're doing, yet the the vendors are starting to really try and bring things to the marketplace so the partners aren't skilled up. And they can't skill up until they start working on it because no matter how many theoretical search you've got on machine learning deployments until you started to do them, it's bloody difficult, right? So to me, I actually think you've got to go so much tighter from a relationship perspective to the vendors and be embedded in wherever they're going as deeply as you can to be early. Because if you're part of the rest of the herd coming across the plane behind it, you're just not going to get enough. 
So I'm, I'm coming at this in my head from a totally different perspective to what you two are thinking, going, right, get as close as you can to those vendors as deeply and as tightly as you can and just go hell for leather. So it's, it's slightly different, but I think about it's all going applications, the innovation is going up the stack, the vendors are pushing hard, everybody's going to go in that space, how do you get there first? I was going to say, I think that's a good, that's a good point, Tim, because I, if, I, if I think back over some of the, the successful um, uh, sells that people have done uh, in recent years, a few of them in particular have been, let's go hard with a particular vendor in a particular technology area, um, really to get deep skills with it, get close to them as much as we can, and then you know look at seeing someone to buy us, put ourselves up as a target. You know, there's a few yeah. who've done that. Cloud Sherpas being a very good example yeah. of that. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch sure. who who've done that, and I think that's that's absolutely going to be an opportunity for a lot of people going forward. Because I think the the larger service providers are highly acquisitive at the moment, really acquisitive. Everyone's still trying to pick up yeah. to fill gaps that they've got either. From a skills perspective, a technology perspective, a vendor perspective, or a geographic perspective, you know, as as you do, yeah. you know. So I think that's that's yeah, a really good point. Much. Yeah. All right, guys. Last words then uh, before we finish this off. We we I think we're all in agreement that there's an opportunity, but we've got to do things differently. Um, what would you What would your your main point be um, for for partners listening? <clears throat> Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would jump in. I think for a lot of partners, there's a, I'm seeing a little bit of deer in the headlights. Um, mm -hmm. So they're not quite sure which direction they want to run. And there's a little bit of hesitancy. And I, certainly most of the partners that I talk to, I'm encouraging them to be a little bit more aggressive. So the market opportunity, all the data that we've seen, you know, both from us and from, uh, from other research and analyst houses as well, uh, have the market as being relatively bullish, actually very bullish over the next two to three to four years. So the partners that I talk to, I'm like, you can put more chips on the table. If there was ever a time to be brave about directions that you want to move in, that time is now. The market will support uh, a, a relatively aggressive investments at the moment into new areas and new skills. You've got to figure out which ones, you know, what's close to your wheelhouse, the customer segments that you've got, what, it, what are the best opportunities, but move and move more quickly and move more aggressively. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm coming at it from business and enterprise perspective on that. And and no matter what it is, we still pick up from the work we're doing that the partners are still thinking traditional. And by that, I mean, regardless of the technology solution, it's about, hey, I've got a quarter deal, I've got this, stop, you know. And, and it's, I hate to say it, but we've been talking about it for years that it's the whole customer engagement model. And yes, understand the customer, all that sort of stuff that's now dead cliche, but we still hear it from the enterprise that the partners are still focusing on the short term and it just, you know, quarterly deals and offers, nobody gives a toss about that. Um, and, and there's this legacy engagement model that still persists, um, even from people that should know far better to, to mm. do it that way. So break the model apart and actually rebuild your commercial and market engagement would, would be one of my suggestions, I suspect. Yeah, it's a good point. I, I, you know, that that uh, let, let's get it before the end of the, the, the financial year um, deals in and get them over the line. Um, very, very yeah. common. Um, I mean, we get that as well internally. Some people come into us and saying, hey, we need to spend some budget. Can, can, can you help us do that before yeah. the end of the year? Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'd... I'd, I'd 
and, and I'll take that, mate. Right? You know, yeah. I like. That. I'll always take it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I would agree. I think that there's a. Honestly, I, I know every every partner I t- I speak to and we and we work with will say you know their 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 point of difference is they know their customers better and they've got better people. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, so so often. So, but but I I do think there's a there's a. The, a lot of them still struggle to a actually really understand what their customers are trying to do and the segments that they want to play in. Um, you know, there's there's still a lot of. Um, I don't think they even know. See, I don't think they even know that they don't know. You do you do the roundtable tree with that? Where you yeah. have half a dozen partners and write down your three skill differentiators, or and they'll and then pass the card to the person on your left, and everybody reads the same sodding thing, right? I think they actually think they're doing really well. Oh, you know, and it's saying the same thing. They're doing the same thing. There is no differentiation. Yeah, I, I yes, I agree. I would I would only say though at the same time, whatever's paying your bills, make sure you're doing that super well. Um, yes, yeah. don't want them to to move off too quickly into doing something new and fancy and and forget that hey, actually, you know, whatever our core is, that. do that well. But I agree with you. There, there is a lot of. They could do a lot better, so, and some of them in particular, where they've got, you know, they've got great people, but they're just not. They just don't have a true north. They don't have a place that they're they're really heading for really well. They're they're ticking along as a, you know, quarterly view, financial year view, rather than a well, let's think about this a lot more strategically, um, and yeah. you know, in a different kind of strategic way with, the, with with that customer and really knowing that customer. As you said, I think a lot of them don't actually know that they. As you, I think you put it, they don't know what they don't know about customers, and there's a lot of them. Um, I reckon the account managers do, but the business doesn't. Right? Good account managers will know their cost, their customers and their clients' business. That's but true. then bringing that back in institutionalizing it, for want of a better word, you know. Anyway, you know, it's easy for us, right? We're analysts because we're perfect with everything we do, right? So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good note to finish on today. Um, it is a very good, it is a very good opportunity, um, and that, and as we said though, it's it's a different opportunity depending on where you are sitting uh, or operating in the Asia Pacific market because it's not one market by yeah. any means whatsoever. So, gentlemen, thanks very much for for joining me today. I do appreciate your time. Appreciate no, all right, so thank you very much to all of you too for, for joining in and, and listening to our first edition of the TRA Channel podcast, What's the Opportunity? Uh, we'll be back every couple of weeks with a, with a different opportunity to discuss and some guests as well and hopefully some data to share with you too. So thanks very much for joining us and we'll see you next time. All the best. <laughs>